It is trunk or treat tonight. It's an exciting time. I see lots of good costumes out there. I like the ones our kids are wearing too. Those are good. <laughs> it is trunk or treat. And so if you're here as a, as a guest tonight, if you're visiting with us tonight because of trunk or treat, we welcome you. If you don't normally come on Sunday night and you're here because of that special event, we are so thankful that you are here. And I do understand that the only thing between these children and 600 pounds of fun-sized candy is my sermon, so I will keep that in mind as we spend some time in God's Word this evening. But it is an important message, I think, as we continue in the book of Ephesians. And Paul is trying to help us understand who we are and where our place in the kingdom of God really is. We're glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I want, to, I want you to stand up if your birthday is in June or December. Stand up if your birthday is in June or December. You December birthdays, you're always mad because your birthday is close to Christmas anyway, so we'll go ahead and recognize you. Now stay standing, get comfortable, stay standing. June and December, remain standing. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that those people standing are the elite members of this congregation. Some of you don't act surprised. <laughs> Some of you are already embracing that role. In fact, what if I said you are really the only real members of this congregation? That this congregation is really all about you. And the people around you who are still seated, they aren't really a part of this church family. In fact, we really should ask them to leave. Now, don't get up and leave. I saw some of you about to make the move. We should ask them to leave, and in fact, we should put a sign out there that says, non-June, non-December birthdays, not welcome here. And we would let you maybe, maybe go into the lobby, and you could watch on the monitors what was happening in here. But you couldn't sing with us, and you couldn't pray with us. And when it came time to meet around the table and pass the emblems of the Lord's Supper. We wouldn't give those to you. Maybe, just maybe if we had a little bit left over, we might set it out there and you maybe could get to it. But if we had ministry events, you wouldn't be invited. Only those standing would be invited. You would be the honored participants in those ministry events. If we had mission trips, only those standing could go on those mission trips. Everything was for those standing and nothing was for those who were seated okay you can be seated now everyone can be seated I want you to think about this for a moment if you were one of the ones standing how did that make you feel maybe a little bit privileged maybe a little bit like hey I'm, I'm pretty special right Maybe you felt like you had something that other people didn't have, and maybe there was a small part of you that even was a little bit glad about it. Sometimes we have that perspective from a place of privilege, don't we? We look at others who aren't as blessed. We look at others who don't necessarily have a place of privilege, and there's something inside of us that says, I kind of like it that way. I kind of like to be in the in-group, not on the out-group. I like to be one of the haves, not the have-nots. But for those of you who were seated, how did you feel about it? Did you feel left out? Did you feel 
like you were on the outside looking in? Did you feel like you were being mistreated, treated unfairly? After all, it's not your fault, right, that you were born in February or August. That's your parents' fault. That's not your fault. And so maybe you felt treated unfairly. As we think about those dynamics, we begin to understand the dynamics that were going on in the first century, especially as the first century church, the church sort of broke into the social and political and religious climate of the day. You see, Christianity entered a world of political and religious and social hostility where there were all kinds of dividing lines, the haves and the have-nots. And certainly, most of this conflict within the church during this time was between the Jews and the non-Jews, the Gentiles. For the Jews, they held firmly to the law, and they worshipped a single deity, Yahweh, God. But for many of them, their faith turned into a national pride, and they had little tolerance for anyone outside of that special group. They were on the outside looking in, and as far as many of the Jews were concerned, that's where they should stay. But for the Gentiles, they were the outsiders. They were not among Abraham's offspring. They didn't receive the law. None of their ancestors walked across the Red Sea. They were not the chosen ones. In fact, they worshiped multiple gods. They were self-indulgent and immoral. Just ask any Jew and they would tell you. And so I want you to imagine the friction in the first century church as the doors of the kingdom of God were flung open. And now anyone and everyone could have access to salvation through Jesus Christ. Gentile Christians were thrust into the faith community of the Jewish world of these law-abiding, covenant-keeping Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians were being asked to remove or erase some lines that were, had been set in stone for generations. They were being asked to welcome, to receive, to embrace these pagans, these non-Jews. And these Gentile Christians struggled they struggled to find their place, to accept their place. And many of the Jewish Christians, of course, enabled that struggle, promoted that struggle by not receiving them with open arms. And that sort of sets the stage for what Paul does in chapter 2 and really throughout this letter we call Ephesians. As he's helping the Gentile Christians find not only the power they receive from God, but their place in the kingdom of God. And so Paul would write these words in chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. He says, this is your condition. This is what you were. And there are several withouts there. You were without Christ. You were without hope. You were without 
God. It's funny, those words there that we read without God, it's the same words used to make the word that we call atheist. And that's kind of interesting because the Gentiles often referred to the Jews as atheists because they didn't have the plethora of gods and the statues and they didn't go through the rituals and so they, with their single deity, they were really the atheist according to the Gentiles. And Paul comes along and he says, you are without God. You were the atheist. You were excluded from citizenship. You were on the outside looking in. And as you read the rest of chapter 2, you will see lots of temple language here. And so when he tells them what they already know, where they were, he describes the temple. He says, you were on the outside looking in. He's probably referring to the court of Gentiles. Here's a, a basic picture. I know it's not the best picture in the world, but you can tell there is a dividing line. There's a dividing wall. There's literally a wall there. I believe like a five-foot tall wall. And it's not like they couldn't easily just step over it, right? But if any Gentile did step over that wall, you know what happened to him? Just ask Paul. Read Acts chapter 21, where some of the Jews think Paul has brought a Gentile into the temple. And they drag Paul out and begin to beat him. You don't take a Gentile into the temple. And Paul says, this is where you were. You were excluded. Well, what happens in the court of Gentiles? Well, not worship, that's for sure. Because worship happen, happened inside, where the chosen people of God were able to go. But in the court of Gentiles, that's where the pagans were. That's where the, the booths were set up to exchange money, to sell animals for sacrifices. That's where non-Jewish people sort of set up camp and set up shop and they couldn't see what was happening inside and they couldn't participate with what was happening inside and among them there would even be some some Jewish people who were maybe sick or had some disease some illness or some some physical disability because they couldn't go in either they were ritually unclean and so can you imagine the scene? It wasn't, I'm sure, as calm and peaceful as the picture. There were booths set up. There was money being exchanged. There were animals being sold. There were sick people laying around. There were beggars. It was like the, the midway at the carnival. That's basically what the court of Gentiles was. He says, that's where you were. So Paul challenges the way things were and he challenges it on both fronts Paul's trying to help both sides understand that it's completely different now to the Gentiles he's saying you were actually atheist you were without God you were on the outside and to the Jews he's saying you think circumcision is the ultimate mark of membership in God's kingdom your exclusive attitude is completely wrong. You see, the early church had every reason to be divided. As I said, there was political tension, racial tension, social division. There were theological heritages, heritages and histories colliding as believers struggled to sit at the same table to accept each other. 
Now, fast forward to our day and our time. Consider the modern day church. Who might not feel welcome in church today? What do you think? Are there some people who might not feel welcome? What about those who think they're not good enough? Oh, there's too much sin in my life. There's too much struggle in my life. My past is so dark. Maybe they feel like they don't belong. They wouldn't be welcome. What about those who aren't the majority race or ethnicity? Might they feel unwelcome here? I look different than most of the people there. People who are from a different socioeconomic level. I don't fit into that culture. I don't wear the right clothes. I don't drive the right car. I don't live on the right side of town. I don't belong. Maybe those who look different, think different, live differently. The other day I was in the store and struck up a conversation with the cashier. She was a friendly woman with a a raspy voice and weathered skin. She was probably in her 60s and we got to talking about church and I said, where do you go to church? She said, I go to cowboy church. And I'm thinking, is that Dallas cowboy church? That means you get beat up every Sunday? Is that what that means at the cowboy church? Now, I've heard of the cowboy church and and she said... um, She said, I like it because I can wear jeans there, and I'm comfortable there. I can wear jeans at church. I said, hey, you can wear jeans at our church. You should come. And my mind is thinking, if that's the only thing (laughs) that you're looking for in a church, you know, you can come to our church. We welcome jeans. Jason has on jeans tonight. (laughs) What is it that causes some people to not feel welcome? Why might they feel this way? I think that's an important question. I think that's a question we should turn on ourselves and say, are we doing things to put up barriers to keep people out? Probably unintentionally, maybe even with good intentions, are we sometimes putting up barriers? Are we keeping people from having access to the gospel? that transforms do those of us on the inside see those on the outside differently do you remember what Paul says about the Jewish Christians he says you refer to yourself as the circumcision I mean think about that for a moment they take pride in that that's an elite group of people and it's not like people would necessarily know that so they have to tell people And if you're not of the circumcision, that means you're uncircumcised. You see, they attach labels. I wonder if we do that sometimes. Do we view people differently? I wonder, in an effort to to preserve the sanctity of the church, do we sometimes put up these unnecessary barriers that keep people from experiencing the very thing they need most, what we want them to have, the gospel it's almost like when you make one of those phone calls you can wait on that slide you can go back to the other one when you make one of those phone calls 
And, you know, you get the answering machine thing or the service, and they say, you know, push one if you want to talk to this person, push two if you want to do this, push three, push... And you have to go through the whole menu, right? And so you push your selection, and then you have another menu. Okay, push this, push pound, push this, and then they put you on hold. And finally, by the end of it, you're just like, I give up. There's, there's too many things to overcome. There's too many hurdles. There's too many things to jump through. I, I give up. It's not that important. By the way, I always just try to push zero right up front. If that's a default to talk to a live person, I'm going to try it, so I push zero. But what does that communicate to us as we call in and get one of those things? It says, you're really not that important, right? We really don't want to talk to you. If you're willing to sit through and push all those buttons, then we might talk to you, but we really have no interest in what you're concerned about. And I think sometimes we might do the same thing. There must be something that brings us together, that removes the unnecessary barriers between us. What is it? Look back at the text. And I want you to see something here. And I know that that's pretty small. That's really small. <laughs> if your eyes are like mine, there's not a chance you can see that. But I want you to see the whole text, this whole section. And I want to show you something that Paul does here. He uses a literary device called an inclusio. Maybe you've heard that word before, and I usually don't even like to talk about stuff like that, but I think it's really interesting to see what Paul is doing here. Inclusio is using bookends or brackets. You might call it a frame. And the frame is on the outside, and the idea is, just like a picture frame, that it highlights what's on the inside. You know, if we're writing something, we might use all caps. We might underline it. We might highlight it in yellow. That draws attention to it. But for many ancient writers, they use this device to bracket, to bookend, so that your attention is focused on what's in the middle. And so notice there in verse 12, when he talks about citizenship in Israel and foreigners, he says, you were excluded from citizenship, you were a foreigner. But that also aligns with verse 19. You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. And then we continue to move in. In verse 13 there, you were once far away. You also see that at the end of verse 17. You who were far away. We continue to move in, verse 14. For he himself is our peace. You see that same word in verse 17. He came and preached peace. We continue to bracket. We continue to frame. We're moving toward what Paul is really emphasizing here. In verse 14, he talks about the dividing wall of hostility. He says the same thing at the end of verse 16, the dividing wall of hostility. And so what is it, Paul? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to emphasize? What brings us together? Verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. That's it. What brings us together? No matter what our background no matter what the color of our skin, no matter what is in our past, no matter who we are, what brings us together is the cross of Christ. All barriers are broken at the cross. You were once far away, he says, but you are brought near. The dividing wall that separated you, that kept you out in the court of Gentiles, that wall is gone. And now you have access, like everyone else, 
into the, the sacred place where God is. You have access to God. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Again, one of Paul's primary objectives throughout this whole letter is to help the Gentile Christians understand that they have a place in the church, a place in God's kingdom. That is great news for us. That is wonderful news for us. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to keep the law. They simply had to come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ and be clothed with Christ through baptism. And now they are considered children of God. And as children of God, they have the full inheritance of being part of God's family. Yeah, but we're not Jewish. That's okay. Yeah, but we don't have the law. That's okay. We don't keep the Sabbath. We aren't circumcised. It's okay. It's Christ that brings us together. It's what Jesus did. It's not what you are doing or haven't done or what's not a part of your heritage or your history. It's all about what Jesus has done. That's where we find unity. We are unified through the precious blood of Jesus. That's it. It doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your race, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter if you were born in June or December or February or July. It doesn't matter. We are all sinners. We are all on equal footing because we all fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners. But we found salvation in the blood of Jesus. And everyone should have access to that blood. Everyone can find cleansing at the cross of Christ. So, if you are on the inside... If you can identify maybe with the Jewish Christians here, then don't use your place of privilege and blessing to oppress others, to mistreat others, to put up barriers to keep people from the very thing they need, the gospel. In fact, more than that, go out of your way to remove barriers. I wish everyone at some point in their life could experience worship and church life in another culture. I think that is so healthy. Especially in another culture where you are the minority. Where the culture that you are in is so different from yours. Maybe the language is different. The traditions are different. Everything seems to be different. It will give you a new perspective on the global nature of the gospel and the church what the church looks like when it's embedded in a different culture than yours. And you will be more open to receiving others. So if you're on the inside, don't put up barriers. In fact, get rid of those barriers because you may be, without intending to, you may be keeping people from experiencing the very thing they need, the very thing that you received, the gospel that brings about transformation.
If you find yourself on the outside for whatever reason and you're unsure of your place in God's kingdom, remember that everyone can find forgiveness at the cross. And together we can continually be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. In Philadelphia last December, 400 students, amateurs, and professional musicians gathered in an armory that was transformed into a concert hall. This became an interesting occasion, an interesting concert with an important cause. It became known as the Symphony of the Broken Orchestra. The New York Times would write this, there was a trumpet that was held together by blue painter's tape. A violin stripped of much of its body had been reduced to a silhouette. More than one cello was carried in multiple pieces. <laughs> Strings were broken, fingerboards were missing, parts were gone or damaged. But that was the point. And 400 amateurs, professionals, even members of the elite Philadelphia Orchestra were gathered together to raise awareness and raise money for the schools who could no longer afford to fix all the instruments that they had. These instruments were just put in closets. They were silenced for weeks and months and even years. So there was a huge push to bring them out, broken as they were, and they were gathered together. And they were played together. And many of them were played in what you might call non-traditional ways. Stringed instruments suddenly turned into percussion instruments because they were just pieces and parts. And yet somehow, this odd collection of some talented and probably some not very talented, or at least not very experienced, the youngest person was nine, the oldest person was, I think, in, their, in her 80s, came together with broken instruments to form beautiful music. Could there be a better metaphor for the church? <laughs> People from different backgrounds, different ages, different stories, all coming together in our brokenness. And yet by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we are able to make beautiful music. To me, that's the picture of the church. God doesn't want anyone on the outside looking in. He welcomes you. He invites you. He receives you with open arms. And so do we. If tonight we can invite you and receive you and welcome you in some way that would help you, we would love to do that. If we can be an encouragement to you, if we can pray for you, maybe tonight you're ready to give your life to Christ, to be baptized into Christ. If that's the case, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. Neighbors are kind, I 